0: And welcome to the Smorgasbord I'm Tom Shapira Hello I'm Sean Edry Are you a chick Who fell in
1: from outer space Or are you real With a tender warm embrace Whose baby are you Batgirl Rest in peace Yvonne Craig
0: (laughs) Sad sad Uh, This comic book podcast Is brought to you by The fine folks at Seekport The best online and unusual source for comic books and pop culture critique, buy their books, read their articles, watch their movies. For example, David Mann is doing a multi-part review of Al Ewing's El Sombra novel trilogy. I should really read those because I've read Ewing's personal novel, not mm-hmm. an adaptation of anything, The Fictional Man, which was great. It was a total Philip K. Dick trip, so... Yeah, I he's one add. of those writers who's
1: definitely showing some kind of mastery over prose in addition to just comics. Because, you, you know, a lot of comics writers try their hand at prose and it goes... Badly. Oh, yes. This is not one of those cases. You should support
0: us, and by us I mean c at Patreon. Support Smart Criticism of Comics. Yeah, Yeah. why not? So, now, the actual news. Yes, so, the fallout
1: of the Fantastic Four flop, take that, Stanley, has continued to unfold over the last two weeks. It's basically been an actual smorgasbord of schadenfreude, and I have been enjoying every minute of it. You've been
0: waiting to use these words. I
1: mean, listen... The writing was on the wall. We have been discussing this movie for months before it came out, and every time there was any kind of news item, anything at all, we had this like disturbance in the force moment.
0: Now, we already talked about the critical flop, which Mm -hmm. it was, now uh, the financial flop news are coming. This movie earned less than the 2005-2007 Fantastic Four movies, even Mm -hmm. with inflation, and it's bombing it's beneath straight out of compton the which is an alternative movie about the nwa J, yeah.
1: yeah the cast has started to turn on each other josh trank basically disavowed the film on twitter fox disavowed josh trank fox disavowed josh trank miles teller
0: it turns out had some kind of huge blow up with josh trank and there's all sorts of like you know hmm. what he calls out to For a Heart of Darkness style documentary about the the disaster that is, which would be better than the movie. The story behind the production
1: of this film would probably make for more entertaining viewing than the actual movie. Not that it's hard. You know, we knew all of this. We knew about the reshoots. We knew about, you know, Drew Goddard and Simon Kinberg and Jeremy Slater coming in, layering their own visions on top of Train. Troubled
0: production is one thing, and critical flop is one thing, but the studio can't and won't take is financial flop which is what it is and I don't know Fox is probably scrambling right now to do something to save this thing they're
1: losing money on this in a way that Sony didn't with Amazing Spider-Man 2 and Sony pulled the plug I would not be surprised if you know a few months down the line once the attention has dried down because obviously Fox's first reaction was no of course we're proceeding with the sequel everything's fine you know don't panic keep calm and come see our movie not gonna happen but I would not be surprised if a few months, maybe a year or two down the line, they'll quietly cancel any plans for a sequel. And if we're lucky, Tom, if you and I are very, very lucky individuals, history will repeat itself, the rights will lapse, and we'll get Fantastic Four on Netflix. I don't consider them 13 lucky. 13 episodes. Because what
0: would happen if they do give the part of the rights back to Marvel... They'll probably want to do it for a movie. because I'm taking because, Daredevil as a template Well, No, no, there. because Fox would want a movie, not a TV show. And Marvel would want... you know, No, their, I'm saying the rights would lapse. No, like, I don't. Fox gave Fox up Fox would never let the right lapse. I don't know if that's true. Mm, never. Because
1: the thing is here, they gave up Daredevil for a specific reason, right? They couldn't get it to work. And the profits that they got from the Ben Affleck movie weren't enough to keep going. So that was a situation where they're just like, you know what? We don't need it. We can't do it. Forget it. I'm just like imagining a thirteen episode Netflix series for Fantastic Four. Episode one, you do the Mole Man. Episode two, you do. Uh, With what Doom. budget? There's good CGI these days. You can do uh, it. Uh, Net- besides, Netflix does not have budget
0: problems. Well, I'm not sure about that. Anyway, the thing I'm af- I'm afraid of. Vis-à-vis this It'll case, go to sci-fi. <laughs> no, no, no. Is that Marvel do get the rights back, and then mm. they say, "Well, it's our tentpole uh, product thing. We'll do a movie from it." And so their interesting projects, the Black Panther, Captain Marvel, mm. will get postponed again, just th- as it happened yeah. with Spider-Man.
1: I think that in that particular situation, it wouldn't work out that way because with Spider-Man. They as soon as they got him back, they wanted to integrate him into the Avengers. Mm -hmm. If you're looking for a natural connection to the Fantastic Four, that would probably be the Inhumans, not the Avengers. So maybe after Phase 3 and all
0: that is over. Anyway, we have one possible result already from the Fantastic Four flop. Mm -hmm. The Fantastic flop. Uh, Mark Millar is taking his Nemesis film adaptation uh, from Fox to Warner Brothers. Now, point. Mark Millar was for a time considered the Creative advisor to Fox regarding their superhero franchise, which explains so much about the state of Fox. But this is Fox's
1: idiot tax, right? This is the price that they pay for not just putting
0: out. But a then bad movie. Miller paid no tax whatsoever, so that makes him a genius,
1: I guess. Well, I mean, yeah,
0: a clever and evil genius. Really, Fox has no one to blame but themselves in this case. Anyway, I've reread Nemesis before uh, the news. Why? Because I haven't really read it for the first time. I've read the first issue and dropped it. Okay, it's not good. Uh, if you don't know, neme- I mean,
1: as soon as you said Mark Millar, there was no chance well, that it was going to yeah, be good. Starlight is good. No, it's not.
0: Starlight's okay. We can discuss that another okay. time. <laughs> uh, Nemesis is Millar's uh, one of those high concept question. What if Batman was evil? The answer to which is the player on the other side by Mike W. Barr, which came in. 20 years ago, when was a better version of that story? Pretty much. Yeah, and you know what? It's not even that. It's Phantomas, not the Grant Morrison version, the original French cry- oh. villain protagonist of pop models. It's basically so like Grendel, only less interesting. Yes, yes. yes. You know, he's evil because he's evil, and he enjoys doing evil, and he kills people, and he tortures them, and right. whatever. Somebody got raped. Yeah, it's the, the book, p- book, I'm sure. Oh, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. Don't even, even even worse than that. Okay. Yeah. yeah Mark it's, it's the Mark Miller's version of, pa- sure. of a Power of Fantasy. Oh, but, good. But... And Mark- now, now WB has it. Well, yeah, but... Okay. Movies based on Mark Miller's properties are often better than the comics. Mostly because you, can, you can't you do worse. I enjoyed the first No, movie. not because you can't do worse. Because
1: what happens is as soon as they get the treatment for the movie, they basically... It's the movie in...
0: Name only.
1: Well, no. Kick-Ass... Wanted?
0: Ass, yeah, wanted, yes. But Kick-Ass... Even Kick-Ass. Kick-Ass yeah, was not as... It was close in story, but different in spirit, which is the important yeah. thing. And it was very good. Uh, the director for Nemesis, for now at least, is Joe Carnahan, who mm. did NARC, The A-Team, and The Grey with Liam Neeson. Oh, I see where this is going. Yeah, I like Joe Carnahan's stuff. I like, you know, the either big-budget, over-the-top action movie or dark drama, because NARC is... One of the darkest police movies I've ever seen. So I would see him as a good fit and a way to elevate the story over what it is. I mean, it has to be said. It has to
1: be said. Like, when you're getting to the point where Mark Miller jumps ship... Because the only person defending Fantastic Four as a film is Rob Liefeld. And that's not an ally you want on your side. If Rob Liefeld says you've got a good job, you need to sit down and think about your choices in life. Have you
0: seen all those tight shoots? You can't see their feet. It's amazing.
1: (laughs) Oh, boy. Anyway, wrestling news. So, Stephen Amell got into a fight with a wrestler. As part of a
0: show, I assume. I couldn't tell you. I am not a big wrestling fan. I assume it's still all scripted. And that guy, Goldust, Goldust, who's a better name and look for a supervillain than most of the villains on Arrow, is doing it on purpose. I read this news item a couple of times trying to figure out... like. What? Why?
1: Is it promo for Arrow? Yes, yeah, I think it's promo for both because Cause Amel they're actually gonna have a fight. They're yeah. gonna have like a, an actual match, which probably means that he'll it's be, fa- okay. It's he'll fa- be wearing less clothes than usual. So impossible. Oh,
0: uh, in anyway, wrestling, anything Amel is, is apparently a big fan of wrestling, so that would explain why he just you know he wanted in on the
1: fun. Okay. Speaking of Arrow, though, interesting news. Mm-hmm. Constantine is coming for a visit. Now, what happened here... This is a crossover that I'll admit I did not see coming, even though they're all on the same network.
0: Because Constantine
1: was cancelled <laughs> Well, here's, unceremoniously. Here's the thing, though. Like, It got me thinking. Basically what happens is that Matt Ryan will be guest-starring on an episode of Arrow, tying into a larger story there with one of the uh, major B characters. I, I don't watch Arrow. I can't be more specific. But it did get me thinking... Would Constantine have had more of a chance if it had been part of this Arrow Flash universe from the beginning? Probably. That seems like a real misstep. I mean, initially when they
0: first announced it and the episode started airing, it sort of made sense that it was its own thing. But now, like... From the news side, I understood that Amal wanted to guest star on Constantine when it was still airing. To save the show no even before everybody knew it was a disaster Um, after the first episode he said I want in on it and it didn't let him which from both of these news together I still don't like Amal (laughs) as an actor but he looks like a great guy he seems like a really nice person (laughs) he's a terrible actor
1: (laughs) He's a terrible actor. But he looks like
0: such a great guy. Like, yeah, I want to help your show. Yeah, I want to fight that gold dust guy. Slightly
1: conceded to think he could have saved Constantine because I'm sure the people in Constantine were like, thank you for your offer, Stephen, but we have enough problems. We don't need to deal with you too. But, you know, so this is a situation where it seems like the most natural thing in the world, right? Why shouldn't Constantine guest star on a DC show? Especially contemporary Constantine, who's been on like the Justice League with Zatanna and all that stuff. Maybe if they had built that up from the
0: start. And it of... seems that whatever it, arrow it seems to be getting more comic booky as the time goes. Yes. With crossovers with the Flash. And again, I don't they watch change, the
1: show. They changed the name of the city from Starling City to Star, Star city. city.
0: I assume there's an explanation in show. I or care. maybe it's just a huge Who cosmic arrow. Forget it, Tom. It's Chinatown. It's Star City. Exactly. Well, see, I, I still want to watch it, but I'm interested. I'm curious enough now.
1: Right. I wouldn't go in in season four. I'm guessing I no, would have no. a lot of mythology no, have no, to catch up with. But, you know, good for Matt Ryan. The show Constantine had some pretty big problems. As far as I could tell, he wasn't one of them. It wasn't a casting issue that tanked the show. So, great.
0: Okay. Speaking
1: of the DC TV universe... We,
0: we need to come up with a shorter name for it.
1: They need to come up. Why is it DC our TV! Job?
0: DCTV, there yeah, you go. The TV verse. So, but isn't the verse
1: part oh. of the, I don't know. <laughs> the DCTV okay. verse. VVDDD. Veni VDBG. So, they've also announced another character who will be joining The Flash, and this is Dr. Light. The female. Doctor. Fortunately for us, it is the female version, so we don't need to worry about Brad Meltzer writing any more deeply unfortunate rape scenes. Yeah, um, I don't think I'm ready or willing to see interesting CW
0: version of Identity Crisis. <laughs> yeah, the car- Tiny footprints the, the, on her brain. The female character, Harwell, has been poisoned by the other Dr. Light. Yeah. Has she even been around after the 52? I assume she was in something. I think she mm. was in Bread Meltzer's Justice League for like two panels, but that's it. I wouldn't know. I don't remember much about her. I, I've read her some of her appearance in the Justice League of Europe, the 1980s yeah. reprints.
1: We're talking about Kimi Hoshi here. Yes,
0: yes. Okay. She, she, fine, I don't remember anything spectacular about the character right. making me think, well, I want to see more of her. She's a lot
1: like Monica Rambeau in the sense that she's around a lot, but you never really notice her when she's around. Yeah. There are no A-list stories about these characters. And unfortunately, they tend to be overshadowed by other people who take their names. So with Dr. Light, you know, thanks no, the male to Brad Dr. Meltzer, Light was first. Yeah, but the male Dr. Light wasn't of any note or interest. Well, he, to, was, he was nobody no, beforehand.
0: He, he was a good joke character in Suicide Squad. Yeah, a joke character.
1: Yeah. And then, you know, Brad Meltzer decided to turn Speed, the dial all the way up to 11. Speedball for, him. Wow. That's the verb. That's what it was, right? To, you to speed, penance him. You, speed, you speedball him. Speedball him independence, And then it was like... I remember reading a comic that came out adjacent to Identity Crisis that had the female
0: Dr. Light, and it was just like, uh-uh. Nope. Kyle Baker made a huge joke about it in his Plastic Man run. Uh, the end appearance was Dr. Light appearing again, and people mentioned, well, he rapes people now. That's his superpower. I, uh, yeah. That's forgotten, not forgiven. Now, DC
1: has actually done something smart. Oh? I was shocked too. Come November, they are releasing a variant cover line. Now, we've talked about Marvel's attempt at hip-hop variant covers before to very amusing and very, very ill-thought-out results. But DC has decided to go in a completely different direction. They will be doing Looney Tunes variants. And the example that they gave was Elmer Fudd and Wonder Woman in full Viking armor singing Kill the Wabbit.
0: That's
1: funny. Now, that's
0: funny. Well, I like DC's variant cover stunts have been mostly okay. We had the Darwin Cook one last year. We had the Teen Titan Go variants this year, which were very cute also. There was that
1: Batgirl and Joker story. Well, yeah, but but that's not a a whole line line thing.
0: It was just that one cover flop, yeah. On the other hand, you had the 3D covers, which were horrible. Why can't their
1: content be as good as the covers? (laughs) Well, they're improving
0: right now. Are they? According to most reviews, yes. The recent DC line is Mm -hmm. a whole lot better than the old DC line. The only problem being that the recent DC line is tanking sales. So they're doing better, but the readership is telling them, no, no, no. Do worse, please. Also, we want more more chocolate bars in, in our comics. No, we don't. Well, that's what the readership tells them. Oh, God. Uh, Back to TV. Yes. Red is getting a TV version. The Warren Ellis-Cully Hamner miniseries, which was already a two-movie deal, Mm -hmm. now gets a TV adaptation. Why? Tell me why, Tom. Because it's a name. First of all, it's not a name, it's a color. We're not at a point where
1: somebody's saying, let's do Dylan Dog. let's do From Hell, let's do Watchmen. No. Red.
0: Let's do Red. Why? Because it's a The name. movie
1: was fine. The second one was terrible. Oh, yes, first, it was. But the first one was really cute. Yes.
0: You know. It had nothing to do with the
1: comic. I did not know name. Not a damn thing. And it was all the better for it because I read... I read... I, you read, read? Read the miniseries and it's, you know... It's, I,
0: it's I, a Warren Ellis... I really liked Fred, Both the movie and the comic. But it I was don't It was an Ellis book
1: with everything that that implies. It now, was, you know, very colored by com- numbers. as a high Red concept.
0: Everywhere. Uh, very old CIA agents, agents, I guess, in the case of the movie, mm-hmm. <clears throat> find themselves being chased by their past and have to avoid it. it. It's an okay high concept for a TV show, but the film got its name mostly from putting very high marquee actors. You had mm-hmm. Neil you had Bruce Willis, Malkovich. Uh, John Malkovich, Morgan Freeman. So unless you can get something... Similar to that talent on TV. Who would be
1: the TV equivalent of that? Well,
0: nowadays you don't have to do the TV equivalent. Bruce Willis still doesn't do TV, but movie film actors come to TV all the time.
1: Yeah, but if you had to cast, for example, the role of Bruce Willis, like the role that he plays in Red, with the TV equivalent, who would you take? God knows. And it's like the movie is still out there. It's not like it was 30 years ago and nobody's seen it. Yeah, you know. It was six, seven years ago, and it was decent, and people enjoyed it, and then the sequel came out and less decent, and less people enjoyed it, and now it's like, let's make it a a series on NBC, no less. Yep. This isn't Fox, where they're like, you know, "Eh, whatever. Like, NBC means they went looking for it. I don't know. I don't know Um, what to make of it. um, It's a very strange choice, especially when you consider, like, the thought process being let's adapt a Warren Ellis project. There's no shortage of Warren Ellis projects.
0: Why would you do the same I don't think they, Ellis book twice? I don't think. I don't think they thought let's adapt the Warren Ellis project. I think they thought let's adapt this successful high concept movie, which has enough in its idea to spin into a TV show. Mm. You it's, see, if you take the comics out of the equation, this is going to be another Twelve Monkeys. I haven't watched it, but horrible. Yeah, but it's a thing that happens right now, right? A yeah. Hannibal Bates Motel. To middling success, though. Like, it's a tactic that does not... Hannibal
1: does have a very strong fan base, but that fan base wasn't enough to keep them from getting cancelled. They survived for like three Mm -hmm. seasons, right? Three seasons, and that's it. Like, Let's put it this way. It's longer than Brian Fuller usually gets, so (laughs) I'm sure he was grateful for the opportunity. But it's like this tactic of taking recognizable films and turning them into long-running serials, whether it's 12 episodes, 24 episodes, whatever. So far, there hasn't been one example of that that
0: was actually a success.
1: Like, what would you point to
0: as being... Uh, Fargo, maybe? Again, I haven't watched it. It got good reviews, and it was supposed to be a mini, so it worked okay, I guess. I don't know. It's just... It's a strange choice. I don't uh, i don't I, understand. Uh, the we'll look for that. it. When the first episode comes, maybe we'll talk about it. Maybe. Maybe. Shall we mention the Ignatz Awards? Yeah, Sure. Okay, so the Ignatz, Ignatz, I think it's Ignatz. I think it's Ignatz. The Ignatz Awards for Alternative and Small Press. The nominations have been announced. Mm-hmm. Uh, most of these things here are not familiar to me. Because Shafel- they're indie. <laughs> no, I'm <laughs> shameful to say. Sorry, I'm a comic <laughs> critic. I should know more of these things. There, be- no, there's a
1: level of indie obscurity where it's like, it's the books that hipsters use to prove that they know more than you.
0: Like, I've never heard of yes, it. Yes, but That's I'm used to like, be one of those hipsters Not who tell You're yeah. old, time, well, You I, can't do it anymore. Well, I know some of this stuff. In the Outstanding Artist, we have Emily Carroll from Through the Woods. That, again? Er, well, okay, you know what? I say again. She deserves any award that she can get for that book. Yeah, so. Ed Luce from, for Wavable Oath, which was a very good-looking comic. I should buy that. Roman Murdukov, In a Sense, Last and Found. Gillian Tamaki for Super Mutant Magic Academy. Noah Van Cyver for St. Cole. Uh, okay. In the Outstanding Anthology, we have The Drawn Quarterly, 25 Years. Of which, course we do. Which is a giant, big book, which I should buy. An Entity Observes All Things by Box Brown. How to Be Happy by Eleanor Davis. Pope Hats Number 4, specifically, by Ethan Riley, uh-huh. And again, Super Mutant... Magic, I Academy. Mean, that's an outstanding... That's I, got an I got nothing. I got nothing. Oh, I do know Beauty. No, it's not the Beauty we're, got, we're about to talk about.
1: No, no. Beauty, the graphic novel about a woman who makes a wish to appear beautiful. Mm. I read it. It's actually really, really great. I really
0: like the art team when they did it. Kersko also did the Beautiful Darkness. Mm. They like stuff with the word beauty in it. Apparently so, but that was a um, really good book. The interesting thing about the list is that there's more than 50% women in the nominations. So we're now the, the anti-Hugos. We're, it's sometimes in the categories. It's some of the categories are all women, like the oh. web comic. The best outstanding online comic is an all-female cast. We have the Bloody Footprint by Lily Care, mm-hmm. uh, Carriers by Lauren Weinstein, Mom Buddy by Rebecca War, Oh Human Star by Blue Delinquent. Oh, that one's really good. I yeah, read yeah, o, I read Oh Human. Human Star, and it is <laughs> really, really good. really good. And Witchy by Ariel Rice. So
1: uh, okay, good. For well, them. I do think that. A lot of the—I don't want to say all of—but most of the web comics of note that I've encountered, while going through it, have been by women. I think it's a predominantly female-led field, so it doesn't surprise me that all the nominees are female. Are, are female, but
0: it does mean that we have more reading to do because I don't recognize ninety percent of these names. Well, the outstanding new talent is also a category. We'll dominated. Just wait for them to show up. Yeah, me. the outstanding new talent is also a category completely dominated by women. Great. So, you know, great. Looks like a good list for stuff that I haven't read yet, and I would be shameful to admit that I haven't read.
1: Editor-in-chief of Image, editor-in-chief in Boom, please pay attention to these nominations and start your hiring practices.
0: Okay. These people are here, and they're ready. Uh, one last news of note, not mm-hmm. necessarily comic-based, but comic-related. Okay. In Washington State, a lawsuit against a failed Kickstarter project, not a Kickstarter project that failed to meet its uh, finance, a Kickstarter project that succeeded... And then didn't deliver on time. Right. A lawsuit against them was successful. Uh, the Asylum Card Gang Company mm-hmm. uh, failed to provide its cards on time to many supporters. And there was a big giant lawsuit from all the supporters in Washington. Good. And they succeeded. Even better. Which means... Well, we don't know what it means. Well, there is now legal
1: precedent... To file class action lawsuits against creators who fund their projects and don't deliver the product. It has been a problem with Kickstarter. Several projects, whether they're video games... I'm more familiar with the video games that flop because And I'm familiar with the comics. Right. But there are situations, you you hear about them all the time, where sometimes they get 200, 300, 400% of their funding... And the product never comes out. It can go two years, three years, five years, nothing happens. Now that you
0: said it, usually the big problems with projects that fail to deliver is the ones that get much more than they ask for. These people should put a cap. You you have the minimum in, in Kickstarter, but you should also have a, well, this is as high as I can go. Because at a certain point, the product they have to deliver is over their ability to produce, over their ability to send, over their ability to manufacture on time. You see this really clearly in video game
1: development where when they get four hundred percent of their funding, suddenly they start talking about, let's add all of these new features that weren't yep. in the original design because now we have the money. Again, and in, in it comic
0: delays. In comic the probably one of the biggest names is Sullivan Sluggers mm-hmm. by Mac Andrew Smith, who asked for I think sixty thousand and got over a hundred thousand, even even more, something ridiculous, and said, "Well, now that I have all this money, this regular-sized graphic novel is going to be a huge, giant art cover, right. which I have here on my shelf." Yes, and you do. Failed to think through things like, "Well, what's the shipping going to be now on that giant thing it's in the shipping, art cover?" Shipping the hard cover, the design. It's like, and also he did all sorts of shady stuff, like manufacturing more than he was supposed to, and hmm. stuff that was supposed to be Kickstarter exclusive get shipped to Amazon before right. supporters got it. But that's beside the point.
1: It's a consequence, I think, of the people who are organizing these Kickstarters, right? The people who are putting their stuff forward are creators. It's sort of a catch-22 with Kickstarter, because the reason that you would use Kickstarter as a crowdfunding platform would be because you cannot get funding from the more conservative companies that maybe don't want to take a financial risk on something that their marketing research doesn't say is good. You know, no one was willing to take a chance on the old school role-playing games Mm -hmm. no one wants to put those out today but when you say you know let's do crowdfunding clearly there is a market for it right there's this disconnect the problem is that most of the time the people who are putting these kickstarters together don't know anything about what happens after you produce the products like shipping distribution marketing all of these things these are things that usually you have a company for I'm not surprised that in the case of uh, Sullivan Sluggers or in the case of Pictures for Sad Children where oh, was... you actually saw the creator go completely. It was a process of mental disintegration she that I himself... have only ever seen in fiction with Spider Jerusalem. Yeah, she only... filmed herself having a breakdown in Burning Comics. Flipped. Her biscuits. The entire tray of biscuits just going 180 degrees. That, that was a sad story. It was a sad story. For little it, children. But it was a predictable sad story because mm-hmm. it's like you are a soul creator. If you're working on a webcomic, usually it's just you, right? Yes. If you're lucky, you have an artist that you're working with. And you are then expected to fulfill all of the reward tiers. Uh, Rich Berlio, who does Order of the Stick, to this day, like two, three years after his Kickstarter, hasn't completely sent out all the rewards. He's lucky in that his fan base is loyal enough and he is still producing work. And he has a giant fan base outside of the supporters. Right. He's lucky in that sense because it hasn't been received negatively. People are willing to cut him some slack because he's still working. Now, I'm
0: I'm a supporter sometimes, not often, but sometimes, and Mm i usually a slack-cutting kind of guy. I have stuff that's almost a year late by now... And as long as the creator would respond when I ask them, is it going, mm. is it advancing, do you have my address? I'm fine with that. But I understand why people are annoyed. So many creators
1: underestimate the importance of communication. Yep. And you, you know, pay that, the price you But pay. now, now with this precedent, it'll be very interesting to see what happens going forward. Because up until now, Kickstarter would not take action against... Creators who failed to either return, you know, to to no, no, no. the or the
0: products, Kickstarter, Indiegogo, and all the like, make it very clear that they're not legally responsible. Not responsible. You know, if somebody, if you give one hundred thousand dollars to somebody, and this guy takes your money and absconds and makes a potato salad, yeah. But, well, the people who gave for the potato salad knew what they, what they were right, getting. I, that's fair. They enough. got some guy eating a
1: potato salad. And really, you know what? That story actually worked out for the best because he gave the rest of the money to charity. So, and a fine. good potato salad. Yeah, and he had a great potato salad, which who doesn't like potato salad? So it'll be interesting going forward to see what will happen with Kickstarter as a platform for creating comics. Something like Fresh Romance, for example, hmm. if they had not followed through given this precedent they would have had Well to yeah familiar. but fresh
0: fresh romans was a group of professionals they were they were a group
1: of professionals but not people who usually had like who do the function that diamond would normally fulfill yeah
0: well it also it helped that it was all digital they yeah. never had once you go physical that's the problem, because again, shipping and... Shipping costs... And rise,
1: international shipping, that's even Or worse. even local
0: mail losing all your stuff, which happens here in Israel, God knows how many times. <laughs> so Fresh Roman said the right idea. You know, we're doing it digital only, yep. and you know, we only have to make the comics, which is something that we already do. And the advantage with digital
1: is that if they decide afterwards to put it out in a trade paperback, there is nothing stopping them. Yep.
0: Okay, now should we talk previews? Let's talk about previews. There's tons of stuff... We're starting with Marvel. Because there's tons of stuff. Zoot be praised. We are finally putting Secret Wars in the rearview mirror. Unfortunately, we are putting something else in the forward-looking mirror, which is goddamn $5 number one comic. Yes. They're taking the step. Listen, we warned you. The Outhouse warned you. House to Astonished
1: warned you. Four ninety-nine comics are becoming a thing. And if you continue to pay for them... Uh, Which is why
0: most of of the stuff we mention here, I'm afraid we won't buy because I'm not gonna, you know, it's, there are certain things I, the higher the price goes, the more my standards rise. Mm -hmm. And wait, before that, we should mention that most of this stuff is also double shipping. Mm -hmm. So that means if you want to open up a subscription, the first month will cost you $9 without reading a single page. Right. So I'm not gonna do that. No absolutely no. not maybe I'll buy some collections later chances of me opening a subscription well the trades while... will
1: probably be going up also in price I would not I be wait surprised. a
0: long long time for them to drop the price you know find them in second hand stores or... yes because I'm sorry I'm. why would I pay for that it has really reached I... there's a lot of stuff the here. end of the line yeah there's a lot of stuff here that I want to read I cannot afford it sorry It's true. You're absolutely right. But if I could afford it, maybe I would buy Drex Number 1 by CM Punk and Colin Bunn, who write together, Mm -hmm. with Scott Hepburn as an artist. I pretty much enjoyed CM Punk one single story. He wasn't awful. Yeah, it was a a funny comedy story. It wasn't revelatory, but you know, it was... Well, he's doing Drex the Destroyer, Guardians of the Galaxy spinoff. You're not looking for the next Ellen Moore here. That's true. Colin Bunn is... I, I was about to say he's an old hand, but he's not old. He's just doing so many comics that you think of him as an old <laughs> hand because whenever you open a preview, it's like... Yeah.
1: If experience is gained laterally as well as chronologically, he's fine.
0: <laughs> if you take out Colin Bonn and Charles Soleil from the previews, you lose <laughs> like 40% of all comics published monthly. That's true. Uh, so
1: there there were a few books here that picked my
0: interest. Um
1: <laughs> So, this has been announced before. I don't know if we discussed it, but Mark Wade, Adam Kubert, and Mahmoud Asrar are doing the All-New All-Different Avengers. Yeah,
0: we knew about it because
1: there was the preview book during the Free Comic Book Day this right. year. Now, this is a situation where I'm starting to see a trend, that, and I'm not happy about it, because... All new, all different Avengers, right? The roster certainly seems to bear that out because you have Ms. Marvel, you have Sam Alexander as Nova, you have Jane Foster as Thor, Sam Wilson as Captain America. They're actually new and different. And Miles Morales. Who's writing it? Mark Waid. Now, I don't have anything against Mark Waid. Absolutely not. He's a solid storyteller. Do I want him writing Kamala Khan? I don't know. Because he is, for all that he is a solid, competent, capable storyteller... He is neither new nor different.
0: Well, I think he can be okay. Again, the, the comic book preview that was in the Free Comic Book Day issue was fine. It was perfectly doable uh, Marvel Young Avengers type stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not the biggest fan of Miss Marvel right now, so I I wasn't that offended by how it was written. And friends of mine who are huge, giant Miss Marvel fans said they liked it. So, in terms of recent developments. Yeah, no, I would say that the book is still very much on point. Well, you know, it it's kind of—it's being derailed by no, no, no. Secret even Wars even be, even before Secret Wars, it's it's perfectly fine. It's not for me. Okay, okay. But people who actually said that Miss Marvel is for me also said the all new Avengers stuff was good. So right, okay, okay.
1: There's all new X Men by Dennis Hopeless and Mark
0: Bagley, which is actually not all new. Our the x fight to defend the world that fears and hates them. Our listeners again. will start
1: to detect a trend here yes. with new and different books. There is an X-Book I want to talk about, though, that's not that one. All-New Wolverine, number one and two. Tom Taylor, David Lopez, and David Navarro. Laura Kinney, formerly X-23, has taken the name Wolverine. The solicitation text says she's the best there is at what she does. I'm curious. Because... It would have been the easiest thing in the world when X-23 was first introduced to basically just have her be a distaff Wolverine, right? Wolverine with boobs. She wasn't, though. And part of that is because of the very convoluted way she was brought into the Marvel Universe with Joe Casada's Nix, and then Marjorie Liu came in, and then, like, it was very, very messy.
0: Yeah, she was Wolverine if the Weapon X project had succeeded in brainwashing her and she had to live her whole life as a weapon, only then realizing, oh, something was wrong. Right. Now, I haven't been following her lately
1: because, you know, I I don't read X-Men anymore. But at the time, there was something very refreshing about the idea of her being very distinct from the person she was supposedly a copy of, Right. right? And now she is taking the mantle of Wolverine, which first of all goes to confirm that they are still keeping the original Wolverine dead. Although there's old man Logan running around, but that's a whole other story. So this... and Tom Taylor is... Not a well known talent,
0: but this is the sort of I am of book yet where to I've... be convinced that Tom Teller is not a fictional representation of the guy <laughs> from, uh, from <laughs>
1: now he's gone from like fiction to meta fiction. I don't care how world.
0: many Justice League comics he writes, <laughs> I am still unconvinced it's not a big Mike Carey trick.
1: I can't believe I'm saying this, but I'm gonna pick up a Wolverine book. Which I mean, the rapture is coming, people. This is the end times, uh,
0: Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur number one yes. of all things. Written by Amy Reader and Brendan Montclair, fresh off Rocket Girl, who's taking a hiatus, again. Mm-hmm. And drawn by Natasha Bustus. Instead of Moon Boy, we have Moon Girl, who's uh, Luella Lafieta, a preteen super genius that has an inhuman gene in her, because it's the of Marvel course. Universe 2015, well, everybody's everybody like inhuman. Yeah. It used to be the X-Gene, now it's the
1: inhuman, whatever.
0: And instead of Superpower, she gets a dinosaur, a devil right. dinosaur, is it? Or... Yeah. I read the announcement for this and it took me a few seconds to
1: sort of figure out how I felt about it because I wasn't a fan of Rocket Girl. And looking back, I was thinking about it and I realized though that the problem that I had with Rocket Girl was the really confusing temporal mechanics there. I feel like Amy Reader and Brandon Monclair have talent and they're capable of producing stories that I'd want to read. That one particularly didn't work I for me. I think Rocket one Girl's
0: might. problem was that it wasn't working well in monthly. I should probably sit down and reread the collected edition because reading it monthly didn't work for me. But like you said, it was there. Yeah, they not. have
1: potential. I think they just need this. Might well, be well, like in reader a,
0: another... as an artist is already great. Oh, yes. Shame she's not drawing this, but I guess she has to keep her hands full. Rocket Girl. Mm-hmm. Do you think it'll survive, or uh, will Marvel announce it's a mini after the first issue comes out? and say, oh, it's always was a five-issue
1: meeting. here's the thing. She could be the next Kamala Khan. Before Ms. Marvel came out, I would have said, this is going to last six issues, it might be a good six issues, we'll enjoy it while it lasts, and that's it. Ms. Marvel seems to be defying expectations. And if she can do it, in theory, it could happen again. I don't know. It's worth looking into. Tom, have you ever seen Tales from the Crypt? Yes. Okay, you remember when they go into his house and they go down into the stairs. The and intro. The intro. Everything's covered in cobwebs and it's like lights. And you you know that nobody's been around for 50 years and then you get a little bit closer and the coffin bursts open and this corpse comes out laughing. Okay. They found Frank Thierry. I don't know where they found him. I don't know where he's been. He's been quiet and it's been good, but now he's back. He's doing Black Light. Black Light. <laughs> he's doing Black night number one with Luca Pizzari. And the only question that I have here is why. Why Frank Thierry? Why the Blank Knight? The Blank Knight. I keep messing up the name because any variation that I could say here, Black Light, Blank Knight, any variation is more interesting than Dane Whitman. I mean, I cannot believe that we're having a Black Knight ongoing. For what in 2015? Question,
0: is he fighting the evil
1: within his ebony blade? They sent him to Weird World. As far as I know, he could probably end up fighting like the evil in rocks. Now I'm interested because I like Weird World. I like Weird World as it currently is. I'm not invested enough in Weird World as a setting where other characters can come and go. Weird World in its current configuration with Jason Aaron is amusing because you have Akron being like this ridiculous Conan type. They're not going to do that with Dane Whitman. Every time they go into his backstory, I get a migraine, I start getting well, nosebleeds. somebody
0: could do it, not Frank Thierry, though. Not Frank Thierry. What was the last thing he did for Marvel? Weapon X? No, there was a Ugh. miniseries tying to Siege, I want to say. Underworld or something like that. For what? For what, Black um, Knight? Over at the Ultimates, we have L. Ewing and Kenneth Rockefort. Ultimates. This because, is not Ultimate, though. Well, no, it's not the Ultimates from the Ultimate Universe. Yeah. It's a group of superheroes including Black Panther, Captain Marvel, Miss America, Chavez, Spectrum, and Blue Marvel. It's a reinvention of the Mighty Avengers with a brand new name. Okay, which Mighty Avengers was fine. Al Ewing is great. Mm-hmm. The artist is Kenneth Rockford. Yeah. I will uh, say that well, not my favorite. Take artist. it or leave it. Yeah,
1: I, I will say though, it is somewhat reassuring to see that they're making more of an effort to differentiate between the different books. Because this is some kind of cosmic galactic superhero team, as opposed to, say, New Avengers, which is more science fiction-y. Yeah. So, and both being written by Al Ewing, and
0: both interesting enough that I'd want to read them. Well, it's not interesting that you want to read an Al Ewing comic. It's an obvious choice. Right. Uh, And Speaking of
1: obvious choices, Tom King is writing for Marvel. He's doing The Vision with Gabriel Hernandez-Walta. Now, The Vision. I don't like him. I didn't like him in Age of Ultron. I've never liked him in the comics because it's so convoluted. The film tried to compress his story as much as humanly possible. Iron Man, Ultron, Vision, Soul Gem, Wanda. And it still felt like too much. The movie would be fine Mm -hmm. without him. But Tom King has been responsible for Grayson. Partly responsible, I should say. He's co-writing. Grayson has been solid. You know, my reservations aside. And for him to write Vision, I feel like, well, it's worth a shot. And there's one other item. Mm -hmm. And I have to talk about this even though I don't want to. I said we were free of Secret Wars, but we're not. Secret Wars 2, T-O-O, number one. Jonathan Hickman, Sergio Aragones, Ryan Brown, Al Ewing, Robert Gilroy, Kate Leth, Eric Powell, Declan Shelby, Kyle Starks, Ramon Villalobos, and Brittany Williams. It was too much to hope that we'd escape without a parting shot. But I want to talk about, forget the, it's some kind of comedy anthology, I don't care. I want to talk about the cover. Because it's a Chips Darsky cover, and how dare you, Chips Darsky? How dare you? I fear for Chips Darsky's Immortal Soul. He's going straight to hell because you know what that cover has? Have you seen it? No. That cover is a sort of high school reunion photos and Doom is right in the middle with the Beyonders Jerry Curl from Secret War 2. Chip Zdarsky brought back the Jerry Curl. You are going straight to hell and you're going to love the company but you shouldn't have done this, Chip. We're going
0: to talk about some of the company next because we're moving on to DC. Not the Jerry Curl. Yes. We're going to move on to DC which... (laughs) Finally. Hallelujah. Finally? No, no, no. I am so thankful for this.
1: When you saw this original announcement, <sighs> were you not sitting there going like, I'd like to thank God and also Jesus?
0: Because uh, th- there's no involvement from God here. Dark this- Knight 3, <laughs> The Master Race number one, Yay! written by Frank Miller and Brian Azzarello, drawn by Andy Kubert and Klaus Janson. so... It'll look nice from the bottom of my heart, DC. I stab it. D-
1: thank you, thank you for eight issues of unintentional comedy gold. I'm not saying eight months because you never know, but the best part of this solicitation text is that they use the line because you demanded it, and I'm pretty sure I can prove with graphs that nobody demanded this, nobody asked for it, nobody wants it. But we are going to laugh our asses off. Six dollars, by Miller's the way. Frank writing Batman again. Six dollar, by the way,
0: which. Every issue is 32 pages, including a 16-page mini no, comic? no, 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 no. What? You
1: don't need to worry about that. I'll tell you why. This comic is going to be everywhere. Oh, yeah. It is going to be online, on Tumblr, on LiveJournal. Someone is going to pick up the issue and say, Batman said this. He slept with a 15-year-old girl. He ate a cat. I don't know what Frank Miller is going to do with him. It's going to be horrible, but he's going to do it. And... It'll start to spread, like a meme. The outhouse are gonna do something with it, I know, and we're just gonna
0: laugh. It's, it's a gift, Tom. In, it is a gift, and the, I'm going to enjoy okay. it. In the not, in the possibly not a disaster category, we have Superman American Alien number one. Possibly. Mm. Uh, written by Max Landis and Nick Dragado. They're rebooting Superman Origin again. Max Landis, of course, being the writer of Chronicle, a movie that now
1: has the unfortunate fate of being connected to someone that... Well, it's maybe... not his fault. People liked Chronicle.
0: They did. He didn't, he didn't write Fantastic Four. Yeah, that's true. He did do some Adventures of Superman stuff, which was pretty fine.
1: But why the origin story again? Why? Because it's
0: been two years. No. It's been like two years. No. It's time again. Well, how does Morrison do it?
1: Exploding Planet, Concerned Parents... Kansas... Doom
0: Planet, Hopeful Scientist, Concerned Parents, Last Hope. The end. That's it. That's it. We've just done your job. We don't
1: need seven more issues of this. I mean, to be fair, they're pitching it as like the untold stories of Superman before he was Superman. We had ten seasons of that in Smallville, and quite frankly, it was And the Mark Wade Birthright series. And Birthright, and Earth One, and it's just like... Unless you are really going to do something crazy, and I mean crazy... Lana Lang is a guy. Martha Kent dies instead of Jonathan Kent. You know, like, unless you are really going to go for a departure and try to look at Superman's origin in a different light, there's no justification for doing this again. There just isn't. There's no reason for it. So we talk the Vertigo
0: series? Yes. Because they're still launching. Yep. Go we, ahead. We
1: have some new projects at Vertigo. They're still going with the number one initiatives, which really reassuring to me. Now, we'll start with Eric Kripke who is the creator and former showrunner for Supernatural, is doing a six-issue miniseries with John Higgins about, and I quote, an irreverent and brutally realistic, end quote, real-life superhero story. Now, here's the thing. You didn't give the name of the series. The reason that I'm not giving the name is because the premise sounds generic as hell, and if you know Kripke's work on Supernatural, you know that he is generic as hell. So I'm not even going to say the name. I'm just going to say, don't do it, because you are going to fall asleep. You know, Supernatural, credit where it's due, that show has been running for 11 seasons. I don't know who's watching it anymore, because anyone who started would be like 40 now. Hmm. But this is just going to be like a real-life,
0: irreverent, brutally honest superhero story. Haven't heard that before. Mm-hmm. Also, a thing I haven't heard before, on the rain-soaked streets of Glasgow, a girl whose drawings somehow come to life has just stumbled across her one true love, and thousand miles below these streets, an ancient demigod plots his escape from the prison he's been mm. held for nearly 2,000 years. Yes. Uh Red Thorn by David Bilal and Megan Hattrick.
1: Now, I don't know David Bailey, I assume, is Bailey? how that's pronounced. but There's two L's, L's there. I we here at the Smorgasbord take pride in our inability to pronounce names properly. That's our thing. So this one I'm interested in. Because the solicitation makes a point of saying, you know, this is for fans of Fables and the Sandman. We're doing Scottish mythology. Vertigo has been overdue for a mythological book since Fable ended. So it could be interesting. Well, they tried it, right? With Coffin Hill and stuff. Coffin Hill was adjusted, looser, adjusted it just didn't work. Because I don't think that Coffin Hill was about anything, mm. specifically in terms of mythology. And this seems to be taking like specific Scottish myths. Which is relatively unexplored territory in terms of Western comic adaptations. Go for it. Cy Spencer is back with Slash and Burn number one, art by Max Dunbar and Andy Parks. Now, this is a thriller starring a firefighter who may be a pyromaniac. Talk about job security. It's another one of those things where, after Bodies, I'm sort of always tangentially interested in Spencer projects, because I think he's very close to crossing the threshold into being a really good
0: writer. Yeah, he's... We talked about Bodies in mm-hmm. an older episode, and it was very much stuff that wanted to be younger and more, which is good. People should aim high, and you can't really aim any higher and than that. And for a while there, he was yeah, he, he was, was very getting close. It. He was just... He missed it at the end, Mm -hmm. which is crucial, but he was close. He's interesting. Even if he's bad, he's interesting. It's
1: always worth rolling the dice with Cy Spencer whenever he comes up with one of these projects.
0: You never know. Now, I'm going to talk about the collection. And when I saw that, I squealed like a little girl. (laughs) I was overjoyed. The Demon Volume 1 by Garth Ennis and John McRae's Hell's Heatman TPB Collection. Mm. 296 pages, $20. This collects... Uh, Girth Ennis and John McRae's great run on um, Etrigan the Demon, mm. which brings us such a beautiful scene as a rhyming demon and the haunted tech crew fighting future Nazis. That'll do it. Oh, I've been waiting for this ever since I first read Hitman, and people told me, oh, his previous run was so great, but nobody printed it! And now, like, out of the blue, How many comes, volumes do they expect this to write? Because this is 300 pages. Yeah, I think it's it. This is it, because he didn't write oh, a lot. the entire... Because it's volume one. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Maybe they'll find something else. Because it didn't write a lot of demon issues, as far as I know. Okay. This is mostly printed as a prequel to Hitman. Because right. this includes the issues that the Hitman first appeared in. Maybe if it's successful enough, they'll print the rest. I'm not so hopeful about well, that. Well, I
1: have to imagine that if they solicited this in the first place... It's probably on the strength of the
0: re released yes. Hitman trades. And again, it's a great deal for the money. You know, almost 300 pages for $20. That's oh, great. You know, my world fleecy for that. For I that am amount.
1: maintaining the theory mm-hmm. that when DC moved across country, all the old vaults started popping open, and they go back and they look at their archive material, and it's like, hey, we used to make good comics once. Remember those days? <laughs> and all the interns, who are, of course, 18, look at them and like, no. Last thing I read was Flashpoint. Uh, There is one other item from Vertigo that I found interesting. Mm. Unfollow number one, Rob Williams and Michael Dowling. I always get really nervous when old school writers try to tackle social media because it can get really awkward and betray sort of a fundamental lack of understanding as to how these things work. We already know that Bill Willingham doesn't understand social media. Trying to engage it head on... How old is Rob Williams? Williams? He's not that old. He's not that old, but he belongs
0: to a generation of writers that came before. Well, I would. I'm media. 30, and I wouldn't write about Tumblr because entering there for me is like, "What is going on here? What are those weird images?" If once
1: you cross to the dark side, forever will it dominate your destiny. Uh, and I just want to point out. Apropos of uh, American Vampire has been resolicited again. It's not even funny anymore. Now it's
0: just like sad. Finish the damn run and leave us alone. Well, it's said for you who read it, it's funny for me who looks at your responses. <sighs> I'm there's so a mad. There's Steam in the room now, and Sean ears are the cause.
1: Because you know what it is? It's like Peter Panzer Faust. When did they decide to have all these problems? In the last issue of The Ark. You couldn't have waited until afterwards. God, I uh, hate, I image, hate. image, yes, okay. Here, image uh,
0: Citizen me. Jack number one, written hmm. by Sam Humphries and drawn by Tommy Pederson. Every presidential candidate has a skeleton in their closet, and Jack Northworthy worships the devil as one does. As one does. So
1: it's about most a... Trump supporters are probably devil worshippers. Now, so I'm not surprised. Sam
0: Humphries. Sam Humphries, I think of him as a parallel to one of those directors. Who starts off great and promising, and then after his first project is directly snatched by the big studios? So he did our love is weird and did half of sacrifice, I think, and then Marvel sort of like, well, you're doing our stuff now, and he's doing, finish, okay, superhero projects. He's also
1: ran, you know. It, it, I mean, it, nobody talks about the great Sam Humphrey. Yeah,
0: right? you know, no Star Lord, which. Succeeded because it was post Guardians of the Galaxy movie season mm. and it was a Star-Lord project. His un- Uncanny X-Force, Cable and X-Force. Wh- I can't even the remember. There were two <laughs> X-Force titles and I can remember Simultaneously which one running. I don't even know. But, maybe now that he's back on his alternative routes and doing stuff he wants to do, we can actually see him at his prime. Hopefully. And the concept mm. is interesting. Yeah. I don't know if they'll play it for black That's... comedy or for like Serious drama. Well, they're calling it
1: horror comedy.
0: Yeah, both could work, actually, with such a thing.
1: My concern here is that, like social media, politics are, or political satire, I should say, is a very tricky field. There have been very, very few comics that managed to do that satire without either succumbing entirely to bile or basically using the comic as a soapbox, right? Sure. I mean, for all that I really enjoy Transmetropolitan, and I recommend it to anyone who listens, there are points in that book where you can tell that it's just Warren Ellis with a speakerphone, like, screaming at your face. Yes, who
0: who in comics does politics well? Brian K. Vaughan, maybe? I
1: guess. I mean, when you look at Ex Machina, that's the least regarded Brian K. Vaughan series, because I couldn't even finish it. I... Found it terribly Christopher boring. Priest used to do it, used to be Priest very does good, a great good job. about it. did a great job. Because he actually
0: job. read the books and the news and yeah. knew what he was talking about. You know, And like most it, people just watch the West Wing and what's that Dunn show? No, that May, may the, he rest no, in peace. No, that Netflix TV show about corrupt politicians that everybody's talking about. Has cards. Yeah. yeah people watch it, it and like, oh, I know, I know. I understand politics, politics now. <laughs> yes, yes.
1: <laughs> we'll see. It's one of those, again, like it's an image number one. You can give it a try. Okay. Say it with me. Eight House has a new story and creative team. Yay! Yay! So issue six begins. Mirror by Emma Rios and Wayland. This is the last of the new. God, now explaining we're... that is so oh, annoying. There's a terrorist talking dog. Makes perfect sense for Eight House. So I'm, you know, I'm, I'm still reading it. So everything yeah, everything
0: makes perfect sense for Eight House. Sure. You can say our next arc begins, and the talking lamppost is gonna fight the forces of evil in a samurai duel. I have no problems with that whatsoever.
1: So Jason Aaron, RM Guerra, and Julia Brusco are doing the Goddamned number one, which they're calling Biblical Noir, and I'm starting to get a little concerned here. Because it's not that I don't think Aaron can pull it off, but help me out here, Tom. This is the third or fourth image book that is dealing with biblical stuff simultaneously, I'm, What I'm right? thinking
0: is, A, you're assuming that by the time it comes out, the covenant is still a thing. Don't be sure about it. It's a Rob Liefeld project. What are the chances? But he reaches issue four and he's like, well, I'm tired of that and just leaves. I mean... And B, I can amen, almost right? see Jason amen. Aaron looking at the Covenant number one and saying, well, I can't allow that to go unpunished, can I? And he's going to parody Rob Liefeld. Okay, I will
1: admit here that this is a personal bias of mine. It's not a fault that with the book itself. It's not a fault with the premise. I cannot stand biblical stories or biblical variations of stories. It's just... Not for me, but I will say that if you have to have Biblical Noir, you might as well go with Jason Aaron. That makes as much sense as anything else.
0: Okay, Uh, this is an odd one. Double D, book one, original graphic novel. Mm. Now, the actual description sounds kind of boring. Uh, Bullying, teenager gets superpowers, decides to fight crime, but only it's not going very well because he lives in the suburbs and, and there's no crime to fight. Okay. The thing I'm interested about is the writer, Eddie Argos, who's the singer and songwriter for Artroot. It's a very fun alternative rock band, and they're sort of like, they have nerdish theme, they have a, they have a song called DC Comics and Chocolate Milkshake. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. And I really so they're looking it. for another Gerard Way. Yes. Okay. And Gerard Way worked very fine with being Gerard Way. Sure. And I'm curious, art by Stephen Horry, I have no idea who that is, but again, it's weird. Not weird in... Oh, and it comes with a soundtrack album.
1: Of course it does.
0: You have <laughs> a musician writing it. You might You gotta well. do something, right? Um, Hopefully hmm. it's better than the soundtrack album for 12 Ways to Die. This is the
1: sort of thing where what I would do in this situation, because the description is so generic and there's really no information, is I would wait until there's some kind of interview or preview, mm. something that gives more, maybe just op- a clearer view of what's maybe going on Maybe they're hoping
0: here. fans of the band would buy it, just
1: for the sake. If they are an alternative rock band with a solid fan base, that's pretty much about the same yeah. amount of people. So and it's a
0: graphic novel. 40,000 copies, yeah. that's it's it. It's a, a graphic novel. 40,000 copies is excellent, is sure. huge. Especially for Image. Yes. Quick question, Tom.
1: What do the words, quiet seaside town, good deeds, and feel good movie remind you of? Uh. If your answer is Mark Miller, first of all, get a CAT scan. But second of all, you're right. Huck number one, Mark Miller and Raphael Albuquerque. Any other writer, the premise of a guy called Huck who is forced to do good deeds, maybe I'd give it a look. Not Mark Miller. He knows what he did. He knows why he's on the blacklist. So, no.
0: Uh, Ringside number one by Joe Keating with art by Nick Barber and Simon Koo. Wrestlers, wrestlers everywhere. Yeah, it's a realistic drama about the ringside world, about the world of wrestling. We always say Image should do more stuff which is not science fiction, fantasy, horror. So, here they're doing it. Joe okay. Keating did Shutter, which is pretty good. I he did... lost the plot on that after this. Yeah, but well, it was okay. He did Tech Jacket, we were fine. He did Glory, which was glorious. Yeah, but a lot of that was uh, the artist's stuff. No, so... the story was pretty. No, good, No, no, the story was pretty good. But Sophie Campbell, you yeah. know, carried a large chunk of that book. But he's a good writer. It's an interesting thing. I'm, I'm into that. What wasn't
1: the... clear to me from the solicitation text is is this pseudo documentary like Hip Hop Family Tree or is it a fictional?
0: No, 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 no. Story about wrestling. I think it's fictional. Hip-hop family tree, you can do it because most of the people you're talking about are dead. It's a historical documentary. Yeah, doing stuff about wrestlers is dangerous because they can come on and
1: (laughs) No, they can't because they don't actually know how to fight. It's all staged, Yes, right? but
0: they're big and burly. Yeah, but you have to ask yourself, if you
1: encountered a wrestler and you got into a fight, would you expect him to know how to throw a punch without, like, stamping his feet on the floor to make the sound?
0: That's enough to beat me, and I assume that's enough to beat Joe I don't
1: know. So, this is actually one that was announced a couple of image expos ago. <laughs> it finally came out, Monstrous number 1, uh, Marjorie Lou and Sana Takeda. So, a steampunk girl can control kaiju, all well and good, I'm already sold, but here's an interesting thing triple sized issue 66 pages no ads five dollars good price even if lou wasn't on an upward mobility trend at the moment like she's getting better as time goes on as a writer even if that weren't the case for the price and the value alone i'd say go for it have
0: you ever read anything by
1: her which wasn't the marvel thing have you ever read one of her novels maybe yes and no okay she wrote a prose novel called x-men dark mirror uh, now, this was before she started working at Marvel Comics. Yes. It's like one of her oldest, oldest works. It was not good.
0: Well, in X-Men prose novels, the standards
1: aren't that high. You'd be surprised. Christopher Golden used to do really good work there, but that's a whole different tangent. Anyway, so Monstrous is finally coming out. Uh, I mean, again, like
0: 66 pages, $5. I don't know um, where you would the find The yearly Bubble Anthology, 2015. Mm. Hopefully, I'll actually be there and pick it up in person. All right. Yeah. With, uh, Clark Bursko, Tom Langington, Ray Fox, Nick Garwich, Jeff Lemire, Tula Lotte, Rick Reminder, mm-hmm. Bo Cook, uh, Ray Fox, again. again. Yes, Emmy Lennox, and Bab Starr. Four dollars. Wow, that th- is
1: some, coll- I mean, they're calling it a collection of short stories by the best in the business. Mm-hmm. They're not wrong.
0: Yeah, uh, four dollars, 32 pages, but big paper print pages, so. Mm-hmm.
1: I have one other item of interest from Image Limbo number one. Mm -hmm. Dan Waters and Kaspar Wigingard. I really hope I got that right. Now, the description sounds interesting. So, they're calling it Neon Noir, crossing 50s pulp with an 80s VHS visual aesthetic. There are femme fatales, amnesiac detectives, and voodoo queens. I don't even know where to begin, except to say that it's an image number one. I mean... At some point, you have to wonder if they have like some kind of random premise generator and they just happen to have talent that can work with it. I it's ass- like I assume so. Please write about a body swap tree woman wandering. The- oh, sure. Eight house. I got that. I can do it.
0: I mean, I don't know. Uh, Dark Horse. Yeah. That's an odd one. Call of Duty Black Ops 3. Nope. Number one. Written by Larry Hama. Of course it's written by Larry. <laughs> Who else could it be written by? I asked Jack- you. Chuck Dixon.
1: Could it be... What is Chuck Dixon doing these
0: days, though? He's I, not getting work. Larry Hama has still been working. I think he's doing he? Joe Frankenstein. For who? Oh, uh, no, no, no. Winter World. He's doing Winter World for IDW. Have you seen an issue of Winter World in the no, last but six it, months? It's in the
1: solicits. <laughs> so they say.
0: Anyway, again, I It don't would keep, be Larry Hama, I don't though. care about the games. I don't care about FPS. No, I don't no. care about...
1: Speaking as someone who does play video games, not this crap. No, thank you.
0: But I do care about Larry Hama doing military man action.
1: What, what do you find the most boring repetitive comic in the world imagine that as a video game and you have black ops mm, okay another item from Dark Horse Kingsway West number one this is a four issue miniseries by Greg Pak Mirko Solak and Will Quintana a Chinese gunslinger is stuck in a version of the Wild West with magic swords and monsters that sounds appropriately crazy for a miniseries and it's Greg Pak yeah, who Greg is pa- uneven yeah. who is uneven but when he's good he's good exactly And for four-issue miniseries, it's like you can give it a try and
0: and see where it goes with that. Shall you mention the boom thing? I'm going to let you mention the boom thing because... Grant Morrison and Dan Mora, who's a good artist, are doing Klaus, number one, the first of a six-issue miniseries, The Dark Origin of Santa Claus.
1: Now, Tom, as the world's premier Morrison scholar, please explain to me, what the hell is this man doing?
0: I think Julian Darius is the world's premier Morrison scholar. Um,
1: as the as world's second best Morrison scholar, <laughs> please explain to me, what on
0: earth, the dark secret origin of Santa Claus? He's making money. He's making money. There was a talk about a horrible movie that was the dark origin of Santa Claus, you know, Winter's Night. Somebody sold a script for that for like quarter of a million dollars for a bad, bad movie. But Why would Grant Morrison go to Boom? I think he's planning his flag in every single publisher at the same time for what because he's, he's got something in image something for DC something for black mess. but you doesn't know?
1: this sound like something that would come out of heavy, heavy metal under his editorial reign like why well, he's editing not I, don't writing there. I just don't
0: get it hopefully <laughs> are, it's are gonna, you gonna read this hopefully it's gonna be less screwed up than his other stuff because how can he screw up Santa Claus well you can oh if that is Morrison's objective I'm sure he will find a way Shall we actually move on to comic? Reviews. Reviews. Uh, Shall we start with The Beauty? Let's. Uh, The Beauty, number one, by Jeremy Yoon and Jason Harley writing and Jeremy Yoon drawing. And we're in the near future where there's a new sexually transmitted disease that whenever you get it, you turn into a perfect physical specimen. You know, you get abs and six-packs. And if you're a woman, you get the model body. And so there's a task force. ...made to deal with crimes related to beauties because apparently a lot of people think of the disease as sort of like the mark of the devil... ...and on the other hand a lot of beauties saying, well, we don't want to hang on with you normies. That's the twist. It's a sexually transmitted disease that everyone wants to have. Most people, yeah. And so this task force got involved when a beauty a woman who has the beauty syndrome is spontaneously combusted on the subway mm-hmm. and they get involved and then the CDC gets involved and there's a whole conspiracy angle that's maybe related to the main officer and maybe not. So that's the first issue. Well, what do you think of it? Kind of mediocre-ish. Not bad. Now, I like some things. I liked that when they started with the concept of the issue, they just told you straight up there wasn't any of this heavy-ended news reports or Mm. people talking in bad dialogues. It was just straight-up narration. This is what's going on. One, two, three. Now can we move on to the story? More people should do that. I mean, that's
1: sort of the golden rule for number one, right?
0: Yeah, you're a comic book. You're allowed to use narration. Don't people adapt this stupid rule for movie scripts where you're not allowed to narrate your actions? Mm -hmm. You can do it. It's perfectly legal. Mm -hmm. I've checked... Nobody will execute not you. Not only is
1: it legal, more often than not, it's the right thing to do. Because yeah. we are going to encounter a book
0: later on in our reviews that doesn't do that and suffers for it. Yeah. But we'll get to that. So this comic just, you know, it tells you. Mm-hmm. Which is good. On the other hand, after it tells you, the plot it moves to sort of a generic crime, conspiracy plot. And I just... There's so much interesting in this premise, in this idea, mm-hmm. and then this comic is just this cop, his partner, his wife, yeah, their angry boss, you know, the government that wants to take their guns away, whatever. You could have done more. Like, you have this world, and everybody turns beautiful. So does this disease has a concept of beauty? Because not everybody thinks of beauty the same thing. Some people say Brad Pitt is the most beautiful person in the world. Some people like the skinny uh, anime guys. Mm, good point yeah what's what's beautiful beauty is in the eye of the beholder yeah or even something more interesting which I thought about while reading this comic you know in fashion magazines often when they have an african-american or other black female models they would brighten up their skin Mm, you know even consciously or unconsciously they would do that so does this disease change your pigmentation that doesn't seem to be the case in terms of what we
1: see in this issue specifically they don't change physically in an extreme way like they don't change hair color they don't change skin tone what happens is they seem to become an idealized version of how they already look because we have here for example we have Kara, right she's the officer who caught the disease but didn't want it right she's sort of the representative of this thing happened to her and she has to watch everyone else glorify it and she
0: is not happy yeah but It's like, who chooses what's the idealization? The artist does. The other thing... Jeremy Yoon is a perfectly good artist. You know, he does Mm -hmm. perfectly fine storytelling. That first page is really good in that sense. Yeah, but on the other end, the revelation of the last page was like... It was supposed to be yeah. a whoa moment. And I'm like, oh, oh, oh. Yeah. And only when he said, when I read it again, I was like, oh, that yeah. it was supposed to happen. If that
1: dialogue bubble hadn't been there, you would not understand <laughs> yes. what happened with the, you would assume that he just cut the issue short. Because. Yeah, we're you know, not going to
0: say what it is. We're going to say revelation what that the art doesn't sell. Well, the art doesn't sell because the art doesn't show it at all. No, I think it was supposed, we we're supposed to be like, whoa, but we were like, Han is good, he's not
1: detailed enough. If you were capable of showing these characters in exact detail, right, like in really minute ways, and then you could tell when they change. right? You can tell when someone has the disease as opposed to before you saw them without it. I will say that I like this issue a bit more than you did, I think, because for all the drop balls at the end, literally speaking, there's a lot that's been packed in. I'm not not
0: saying it's bad. It's perfectly fine. It's just Mm -hmm. not more than that. And I think there's a lot of potential there that the first issue, at least, isn't using. I think the first issue does a good
1: job of setting these things up going forward. They establish these fanatic cells, right? You have Caravan. She's the viewpoint character for the people who treat the beauty as an actual disease, right? As something that if she could cure, she would. You have the CDC, right? You have their intervention, which, you know, the poor CDC. <coughs> they cannot be represented in fiction without turning into complete monsters. And it's just like they have the worst rap, I think, of any government organization. It's just like whenever you see the CDC in a comic book, it's like, that's the one.
0: Because that's the, evil. It's because they wear their, you know, these face-hiding uh. suits and they're like, well, we can't make them into the protagonist. They're stormtroopers. It's like, yeah. The only movie they watch at the SDC is Contagion. Is over and over again because that's oh. the one movie where they're allowed to be the good
1: guys. That's what they was watch like to get the morale up. So you have that. You have the subplot with the wife. And that really worked for me. Like that was a situation where Han was going for something subtle and it works. So that was the sort of thing where I, it's enough to convince me to come back for another issue. He paces himself. There's a lot of content here. There's a lot of world building. It all works out okay. Had this been a double-sized issue, I think maybe he would have had more room mm. to talk about personal ramifications of the beauty. But this is something that he might continue to pursue in later issues. So, I'm I'm sticking with it for the first arc. Are you okay. coming back?
0: I think I'll wait for the trade. Okay. Okay? King, King Tiger, Tiger number 1, written by Ryan Steadley with art by Doug Whitley. And the plot is we have this guy called King Tiger. He fights supernatural stuff.
1: That's it. Well, this is a huge mistake. He
0: he doesn't fight supernatural stuff in this issue. In theory, he fights supernatural stuff.
1: I'm going to take the fall for this one, because I recommended this book, and what a huge mistake that was. Hmm. And I'll I'll explain why. The letter pages here Mm -hmm. indicate that King Tiger is a character who first appeared in Comic's Greatest World. Yeah, the Dark Horse. If you're drawing a imprint, as I did, I was just staring at that name going, I was alive in the 90s. I don't know what you're talking about. But okay. So this was the superhero universe that Dark Horse was publishing in the 90s, came up in the 90s, crashed in the 90s. And the character of King Tiger appeared in a couple of stories, never had a solo title. This issue begins as a direct sequel Sequel. to that. To stuff that you
0: can't find even. There's an
1: editorial caption referring to events that took place in the story yesterday. It's a comic that was published last August. I couldn't find reviews of, this was a blackout it was called, I couldn't find reviews of it, I couldn't find anyone who had read it and would be willing to tell me, like, how was it? No sales indications, no press, nada, and, well, let's just continue, wait, no recap page? No intro? It's been a long time since I've seen a book fail at basic accessibility. This badly. Even Empty Zone, which we reviewed a couple of episodes past, with all of that convoluted publishing history, you can still read that first issue and be like, I sort of understand the basics, maybe not the specific. Yeah, Empty Zone
0: was a failure of storytelling, yeah. not of presentation.
1: You know, they immediately jump into Exposition and we meet King Tiger. This guy and, like, and
0: his sidekick.
1: Who who are you? What knife? Why is he picking up a knife? Why is she wounded? Who had a wound? The editors go read uh, Blackout. You sent me Blackout. How am I supposed to find it? I now mean, the how? actual the
0: actual story. Uh, Doug Wheatley is a fine artist. He does you know good work. I kind of like the design. I'm sad that King Tiger is not actually a tiger with a crown, but you know I can live with a guy with magic swords. I think they didn't want to get sued by Tiger Lawyer. Because he might actually sue them and bite their heads off. You never know. You know, as far as the as first issue goes, if I already knew what I was supposed to know, <laughs> you didn't tell me, I would still say sub because yeah. nothing really interesting happens. You can, you can do like, you know, Immortan Joe. Mediocre! Mediocre! <laughs> no, Beauty was mediocre. This is sub You have this guy on the cover with magic swords and tons of weapons and he doesn't fight anything. We have to wait for the end of the issue for him to meet someone. When his
1: sidekick runs upstairs, he's like, don't open the door. And he's like, no, it's okay. The demons will not come back. What demons? When were there demons? What happened? Can't
0: we see demons? Why
1: can't we see demons? Why why
0: show us the sidekick running? Show us King Tiger fighting
1: evil. King Tiger opens the door and you see this very calm ocean and fish swimming and all that. And he's like, no, it's okay. The demons will not return. Wait, what? Who? Why? It's one of those situations where there's such a deficiency in context that I can't even tell you if it's good or not. Because I'm reading this and like, I don't understand anything that's happening here. These characters are all making references to events that happened to them and that are direct. This is the thing. It's not just that it happened to them. This issue takes place a day after King Tiger's last adventure. It actually begins with, are you okay? Are you still injured from what happened yesterday? What? What? Where is King Tiger number zero to explain these things to me? So, total loss, I, I can't.
0: Okay, uh, our last number one is String Divers by Ashley Wood. Right. Here our troubles began. <laughs> by Ashley Wood, Chris Rael, and Nelson Daniel. Now, Ashley Wood gets the title of creator and art director.
1: That's already the problem. Who gives Ashley Wood art director?
0: But Chris Rael and Nelson Daniel Are storytellers So they're doing arts and writing? And I'm, he was just designing characters? Well I know Chris Rael's a writer
1: I don't know Nelson Daniel I assume he's no, an artist Yeah because it's not an Ashley Wood no, art. No. Because we can see what happens Yeah you can see shapes It can't be Ashley Wood uh, anyway, this is some quantum science voodoo here, and oh, look, you know, about, okay, Tom, you know how like in movies there's always that one guy who says to the scientists, could you repeat that in English, please? Today I am that guy, because I'm reading this issue, and, okay, so the string divers are a group of androids who shrink down to subatomic level to confirm that string theory is real. Then a string is destroyed, this is apparently bad. And then a cruise ship disappears with an old lady screaming, and to think I was worried about food poisoning it's not very good, is it? The problem here is is twofold first of all there's a lack of focus in terms of who we 're meant to be following like the androids are by design generic and interchangeable they 're named only by their the colors, colors of
0: the colors of the clothes that they 're wearing and their application because we have one of them is doing only stealth, one of them is only fighting right. That's stupid. It reads
1: this, like something you'd get in Dungeons that, and Dragons. Yeah, like that's you have stu- the thief, the fighter, the no, wizard. No,
0: it reads like a Saturday morning cartoon from the 80s, from before they had standards. Yeah. It's like red fights, blue runs away, green invents stuff. It's a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. And the androids in this context are about as engaging as the clones in Star Wars. It's and like, how can you... They're all the same. They all... No, 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 no. I don't have a problem with the design. I actually kind of like the basic design palette swap. Whatever problem with, with believability in the character selection because they're created with a single thing that they can yeah. do. And it's stupid because it's not can only you, that can fighter. Can you
1: tell me anything about like these characters? No, it's not only that fighter is the only one that
0: can. No, they have personality. It's just very limited. What are they? It's not only that fighter is the only one that can fight. He only wants to punch stuff all of the time, mm-hmm. which is stupid when you're sending an exploration team. Having one guy whose modus operandi is I see something, I punch it. And these are supposed to be scientists. Yeah, so and, or you have someone who's an assassin class. To
1: assassinate <laughs> what, exactly? You're subatomic. What could you possibly be assassinating?
0: Well, one half of this issue, I would say, is them fighting bats. bats. I don't know. Fly Bats fly? Well, fly bats? But we then... just fly around doing nothing, and then we return to the... Real world, and that's the second half of the problem because you go back like
1: to the real world and you have the human crew, right? These are the androids' supervisors. They are just as boring and superficial as the androids. What do you know about Madame Lagrange, right, the director, other than the fact that she's a racist?
0: She hates androids. She
1: hates androids. They are things. What do you know about... You have like the sibling designers, Timmy and Kimmy. Aside from the fact that their names rhyme, you know nothing about them. You don't learn a single thing.
0: I know that Leonard is short.
1: Leonard is short and has gigantic arms. Maybe steroids, maybe it's Maybelline. I don't know. It's very, very superficial. We are supposed to see these string divers as explorers, right? They're people who don't necessarily know the outcome of what they're going to see. And that's fine, but the lack of any theory on their... Like, when they talk about a string has been destroyed, what does it mean? I don't know. But what does it mean?
0: I don't know. No, and even but that... But what does it mean? It, I don't know. And even that, the, the general idea of a group of androids exploring new worlds, new civilizations, new strings, whatever, and they're in a desert, they're in a shapeless desert place, which I can't believe Ashley would created. it, Of course. You, you have this, you know, the micro world from Marvel Comics, you know, the Micronauts had a more interesting design and, and creatures and right. everything. So you fail to live up to the standards of 1970s Bill Mantlo. <laughs> That's not that high. You yeah. can do better. What are the stakes here? Right? Like we don't know. I think the whole universe is about to be destroyed
1: again. Based on what? Pull the string! First you confirm that string theory is true. Two minutes later you're saying a string has been destroyed. And everyone treats this as if... Not that it's like a horrifying event, like, you know, the the anti-monitor is going to come and eat you any second. That's probably bad, but we don't know why. As a result of that, the reader is also like, should I be concerned or just weirded out? Like, how do you...
0: I'm bored. Yeah, exactly. What reaction can you I, I actually, get from this? I didn't have high hopes, but I had some hopes for this concept. So did I. I mean, Chris Ryle... I thought it would have been fun, but it
1: wasn't. Chris Ryle is, you know, he's known for being a decent writer. I'm not sure what went wrong here, but I'm not... Can we agree to
0: blame that. Ashley Wood? Let's just agree to blame Ashley Wood. Sure. He can take it, sure. He's used to having bad. Ashley, no,
1: Ashley Wood has so much bad karma built up that he never paid for, so if we want to drop this in his lap, I'm totally okay with that.
0: And our final review we're moving to the main course. Yeah, a collection review. We're reviewing the first six issues, what will be volume number one of The Sender, written by Jeff Lemire, and drawn by Dustin Mugen published by Image Comics. Now present
1: this. We have okay, so this was my pitch. Mm-hmm. We've talked about Jeff Lemire more than once on this podcast. And somehow, this is the first book of his that we're actually reviewing. We failed
0: to review Jeff
1: Lemire. Well, you know what, Jeff? Maybe don't do so many Secret Wars books and then we'll we'll come by.
0: No, but we've missed Hawkeye. We've missed the first issue of Descender. We've missed a whole lot of stuff. But am I glad
1: that we are reviewing Descender? Because I really, really, really love this book. This is one of the best... New Image number 1's that I've seen in quite a long while. Okay, explain the plot and
0: then explain why you like it. Descender.
1: The book starts with this fantastic false introduction, and I think that Lemire is having a bit of fun there. Like, if this were a run-of-the-mill image book, the character that you see in the first two or three pages, you would assume it's their story. It's not. The basic plot is we are in a future universe in which humanity has settled nine planets, in what's called the megacosm. And at some point in the past, about 15 years ago, giant robots appeared in orbit over all nine of these planets. They attacked violently and then disappeared. Ten years later, a little boy wakes up in an abandoned mining colony. His family has been killed. He's not sure what happened. He meets this really adorable giant driller robot who calls himself Driller the Killer. And... It becomes clear very quickly that this boy, Tim, is a robot. He's a companion robot. And we don't necessarily see a problem with that until you have this gorgeous double-page spread where he accesses the news network and you find out that what actually happened is these giant robots attacked and disappeared. And as a result,
0: humanity turned on its robot population. We should also mention that because they lived on different planets, there's, like, divergent evolution thing with... Yeah, you have... Either humanity became different races. species or no, no, you have alien, alien races. races. right? Actual alien races. They don't really come into
1: play too much at first, just the the Gnishes. The end of the first issue has a detailed list of the nine planets. That repeats and, itself at the end of every like, issue. And, like, these guys are insects and these guys are whatever. So... In terms of six issues, I think Lemire does a really good job. First of all, the world building here is phenomenal. In one arc, you get to see the former headquarters where the government used to be situated and it's so like this ruin falling apart. You get to see Gnish, which reminded me a lot of Getty Prime from Dune. It's like okay. this industrial... And of course, there's a gladiator arena because you got to have a gladiator arena. And... In the hands of a lesser writer, a lot of the decisions that Lemire makes would be carried out as sort of like routine, you know, it would just be sort of the cliche thing to do. And he always manages to find that little extra twist. Mm -hmm. And I really enjoyed that. Initially, you have no idea that Tim is a robot. Then you find that he's a robot and it's like, okay, it's AI, right? So the kid was left behind and now he's going to go find the meaning of humanity and family, whatever. Then he goes onto the news service and is like, Mm-mm, no, there's that's actually not quite what's going on. Then you have Dr. Kwan, right? Who presents himself as like the... The, the designer father of, of all robots. Yeah, he, he is called the father of robotics. And he is tasked with figuring out what these giant robots, these harvesters were. Which, by the way, the design for them was really, really cool. And it turns out in the context of his art that he's not what he appears to be. That the robots aren't what they appear to be. The premise is constantly bits Ejecting. of
0: ori-
1: Yeah, bits of originality are constantly poking through what would have been a cliche. And I, I really, really enjoyed it.
0: Okay, I didn't like it. Oh, no. <laughs> now, I didn't hate it, but I didn't like it. And here's the reason. Mm-hmm. Where you saw originality, I saw a mesh mesh of all the ideas. And you said AI. And here's the thing. I didn't care for Timmy 21 at all. He was just so boring and just... I'm a cute wasp boy. Care for me. I wanted to choke the little guy all the time. But he's
1: not the protagonist of
0: the story. Well, he's the focalizer of the story. And here's again, I didn't care for the doctor. And the tough army lady... Naturally, there's a tough army lady. Where Mm -hmm. you saw originality, I saw, you know, regular characters. And when you said, oh, a gladiator fight, I was like, oh, there's a gladiator fight on this futuristic planet. Because, of course super futuristic societies with space travel still fight like the Romans do.
1: Normally, up until that point, I would agree with you, but then what you're forgetting is that these planets have all been destroyed. Like, their oh, civilization Santa. has reverted well, they to still, Roman... Well,
0: they still have space travel. I just... I couldn't care for the characters, and mm-hmm. when you consider the plot of the six issues as a whole, is boy yanked from one place to another with no agency, and even the characters who yank him constantly change. So there's like... Uh, first, second issue is he's saved by of the Killer and then the third issue the doctor comes in and takes them and then the fourth issue the pirates come in and take them and every single time it's like yank, 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 yank yeah. and nobody has any control over what's happening in the plot and therefore I don't care what happens to them it's just a series of events mm-hmm. and okay and the thing that I'm really surprised I didn't like is the art because it's Dustin Hugen. oh Dustin Hugen is great, right? You but didn't like the art? I liked it on a panel by panel basis, Mm -hmm. but my god, his page layouts and some of the more complicated scenes were horrible. The space battle in issue 3 or 4 with with the the squid ship? Yeah. What happened there? I had no idea. They're like, oh, they're grabbing us with the tentacle. Are they? Because it looks like you're just standing in a white void shooting into space. Right. You're staying inside of ship and there's a tentacle? Is there? Are you sure? Okay. I'm sorry, because... Dustin Hugen is a great artist. Dustin Hugen knows what he does. Dustin Hugen never had a clarity issue before that. And I'm reading this and I have no idea. Hmm. And it annoys me. Sorry. And, you know, it's, it's, it's nice looking, again, on a panel-by-panel basis, but nothing blows my mind. It's not bad. Think... It's just where you saw originality. Again, I saw mm-hmm. another science fiction story. Well, I... I think the world building was very good, as you mentioned. Mm-hmm. But the characters inhabiting these worlds weren't worthy of them i think that the clarification that i would make in
1: terms of when we talk about originality i mean bearing in mind i'm comparing this in my head to other initial arcs for Mm -hmm. image right like for example shortly before reading descender i read the first arc of invisible republic Mm -hmm. that arc fails precisely where descender succeeds because it's so static, because like they're only stuck on one planet and in one city and in one place and you're not going into depth where you are, but you're also not seeing like this, this whole futuristic world that you've created. Whereas at least in Descender, you do manage to sort of move around these different locations. And Jeffelmeyer has said that they will be visiting the rest of <clears throat> the nine worlds in later arcs. If you are going to build this large solar system, this arena, for your characters to run around in, it's good form to at least show some of them in the first arc. Like, if it's the first six issues. Had this been three issues, it would have felt, I think, a little weird, because you need the time to sort of explore the setting. Because the setting is a lot more important here than it is in something like, say, Wayward. Or Goners, even. right Where it's like you have this whole fantastic world, but the writer isn't quite up to the task of... Showing you in detail, well, like my like, like comparison
0: the... point, it would be something like Egos, which the setting was actually built less well, but the characters that it inhabited were excellent, right. and they actually add agency in what they were doing. Even the characters were, by their design, I'm not going to spoil Egos, meant to be manipulated, had something to do. And here it's just go, not even go from A to B to C. It's be pulled on the string from A to B to C. No, that's and a... also. The revelation you mentioned about Dr. Quorum. Mm-hmm. In theory, it's a very good twist moment, but for me, it was like, so what? He's not the focal point of the series. No. The but, is, but his
1: revelation ends up leading to a much larger reveal. The thing that I find most interesting about this arc in terms of what Lemire does is he connects twists. You know what I mean? Like, it's not enough to just have Dr. Quan be revealed as what he's revealed as, but because of that, you find out that everything you think you know about the robots, right, and that whole thing where Tim may be dreaming or he might not be and he, he, you know, robot afterlife or whatever it is that he sees. And suddenly you realize that revelation is made possible because of Dr. Kwan's revelation. They're connected together. Another writer would have just been like, here's a twist, here's a twist, here's a twist, we're done.
0: That's what it felt like to me, here's a twist and here's a twist. No, but but they are connected. Yeah, they're they're connected on a plot level, they're just not connected to me in a interest in the character level. Because for me, Dr. Kwan, before the twist and after the twist, is just as an uninteresting, oh, I was a failure, oh, I was a failure kind of character. And the Mm tough military lady, I'm going to spoil a bit of her twist. Yeah. When she's going like, oh, the general, the high commander is my daddy. Mm Mm-hmm. Wow, I, why should I care? No, she's not really I, fleshed out to any particular degree. Yeah,
1: I, I completely agree. I do think that with Quan specifically, because the story starts with him, right? Mm-hmm. It begins with him. And afterwards when Telsa picks him up, he's a coward, right? But he never devalues himself. He's always like, Oh, I know what I'm doing, I'm still, you know, I'm still the doctor, I still I still know how to find all these secrets that you want me to find. And after the reveal, he sort of caves in. When you look at like the last issue, issue six, like as soon as all of this is revealed, you notice that he doesn't have too much dialogue anymore. Because beforehand, he's just like blah 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 and then afterwards it's subtle, but it's a level of subtlety that for all that I enjoy the majority of what image puts out, not everyone gets there. It's like a basic level of competence that not everyone has, and Lemire really does a
0: good job with it. I think. So I'm getting you're on board with this series all the way. Oh to yeah, the
1: end. yeah. Well, Image being Image Descender isn't coming back until November, so. But I will be there when it comes back. Yeah,
0: I'm I'm dropping. Sorry, okay. just I couldn't care. I cared about the world. I didn't care about the people who lived there, and that's a killer for me.
1: That's the thing that will. Make or break a book many times. Mm. I f- did feel something for Tim, not in terms of the generic setup, but in the idea that, you know, his relationship with his brother. I did feel
0: like that was kind of
1: it does pluck at the heartstrings. It's a little transparent, but it's I feel more like
0: in a little AI-ish, it's basically the setup for. But AI. the
1: difference is that the kid in AI was really annoying, and Tim is sort of like.
0: You're referring to Haley Joel Osmond or his brother. Is there a difference? In no, the, uh, Haley Joel Osment. Ah, oh, okay. Really irritating.
1: I mean, you know, go sink to the bottom of the ocean. Who cares what happens to you? But I, I do think that there's something here for me to want to read more. Is he going to develop Telsa a little more? Is he going to go into... There's this really big gray military guy that I don't think even gets a name. He fights with Killer in the... Yeah. Uh,
0: He's a big gray military guy. Yeah. Okay. Like there, there's, Action there's, figures sold separately. There's a
1: lot more that can be done here. But I think the foundation has been set... In a very solid way. And that's down to Lemire, I think, as the storyteller.
0: Okay, so that was the center. And this was this episode of The Smorgasbord. Until we meet next time, I'm Tom Shapira. And I'm Sean Edry. Bon appétit.